0: Welcome to the life fellowship ministries international broadcast Our mission is to develop maintain and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ and Now join us for the life fellowship experience Lord God, I thank you for this day I pray this morning that you would open our spiritual eyes, continue to open them, and open our ears to hear your small, still voice speaking to our hearts, that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us today, Lord, and that we would walk away changed because we've had this encounter with you. And so we pray this prayer with great expectation in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ah, great job, Al. I'm getting a little bit of a ring, Lewis. Um... What, what you know, I love. I love how the Lord orchestrates things and uh, communion. And and what Al shared this morning was a perfect lead-in to what the Lord has given me for this morning. As as Al mentioned, we're in this series revival, and so we're taking the letters from revival, and each one of those letters is a topic, and we begin with R being repentance, and uh, then uh, engagement. Whenever uh, Repentance happens then it's really where we are engaging with the Lord and then the next week. I talked about Value it's important that we understand Like we sing about today the value that God places on us and then last week I talked about investment how God has invested into our lives and we have the opportunity to invest into other lives and This morning, I'll be talking about victory we have the victory through Christ and I think sometimes we forget that. We forget that we are victorious. You can live in freedom. You can live in victory. We, God has, you know, in John 10, 10, you know the scripture, Jesus said the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you would have abundant life. Um, by allowing Christ to guide us, we can live in victory. That is the key, that we're not trying to navigate every all our challenges on our own. But victory does not mean we don't have challenges. Victory means that we are overcomers. And I think sometimes we have uh, led people to believe to some degree that once you become a Christian, all your problems go away, you never have any challenges, and that's just not the case. Because we live in a a world, a sin-fallen world, And there's an enemy of our soul that's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he takes no prisoners. But we have victory through Christ, but it doesn't mean that we don't have challenges. Victory, a couple of definitions. Defeating an enemy or an opponent in a game or in a competition. Having a successful outcome. Overpowering a foe. Winning a battle or war. And we know that... The the Word says, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly places. So there is a battle for your soul. And again, the enemy has come to to take you out. But Jesus came to give us life, abundant life. So living a victorious life in Christ must include Him in our life. So that that seems kind of like a duh, but, you know, do we really press into God? Are we growing in this relationship? Are we inviting him into every area of our life? And are we walking with him, even when we go through the valley, on the mountain, in between? Is he really uh, part of our daily life? Uh, I want to read Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything that you see is owned by the Lord. And so the things that we have, even our own life, you know, God has given us to steward our finances, our children, our grandchildren, our homes, our boats, whatever. Those all belong to Him, but we get to steward those things that God has given to us, that He has allocated to us. Uh, the world and all of its people belong to Him. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago when, when we were talking about value, what's God's prized possession? People. We are his masterpiece, and he, and, and he wants us to have this relationship with him. And so there are people, and maybe we were all like that at one point in time, where we had no interest in a relationship with the Lord. But at some point in time, we were called. We, we felt this calling to, to give our lives up that we've been trying to live and, and give our life to him. And so the world and all its people belong to him. He loves us. He wants to see us walk in victory. As God's children, we have access to Abba. You know, we'll see that word in the Bible. Abba means daddy. It's it's not a real masculine word for us men. Hey, daddy. But that's what it really means. It's an intimate word. Father, Abba, daddy, And so God's children have access to daddy and everything that belongs to him. He's a good, good father. He wants to bless our lives. And please hear me, this is not a prosperity message about money. It's so much greater than that. God wants to bless our lives because he's a good, good father. And as a good, good father, you don't necessarily give your children something that will harm them. You don't, You wouldn't give a five-year-old a Maserati if you had the resources to do that. They'd kill themselves or somebody else. But God knows what we need. He knows what we can handle. But God wants to bless your lives abundantly. And please hear me. I'm not just talking about materialism. I'm talking peace, joy, strength, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That we have this relationship with Him we're talking about victory today probably every one of us have some challenges in our lives but we can we can overcome the word says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony i want to go to ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 so now you gentiles what are gentiles 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 are non-jews right So Paul is saying, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And so we know that God created a people. The the Israelites, the Jews, were to be his people. But now we're grafted in because of what Jesus has done. He goes on to say in Ephesians 3, uh, let me go down to 20 and 21. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work. Within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And I know we've talked about the scripture a lot, but think about this for a moment that we are able to accomplish more than we could ever even think through the mighty power of Christ that's working in our lives. That's victory. We are no longer victims, we are victorious through Christ. Ephesians three twenty one glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever amen. So it's not just for us, but it's for the generations that follow. As God pours into us and we pour into our children and our grandchildren, and their children and their grandchildren, it goes on and on. We're building a solid foundation for those that follow, because how do children, how do people learn? That follow us yes. example 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 and so God is imparting and, and pouring into us so that we can live the victorious life but also so how we can train our children and pe- our co-workers that are struggling the key is Christ it's not to work harder or smarter or faster it's to yield our life to him What does the life of victory consist of? And so I want to give us three points. These are not, you know, complete, uh, probably. I mean, you can think of some other things. But what does the life of victory look like? We have victory over sin. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse 2, you used to live in sin. Once we were dead because of our disobedience and because of our sinful lifestyle, living in sin, and those of us that have accepted Christ, we used to live like that. There should be a change when we've given our heart and our life to Christ that God is doing this transformation that we talked about so often in Romans 12 too. Don't conform to the customs of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So it's a transformation process that God begins when we come into this relationship that lasts all of our life, probably, until we get to heaven. But we used to live like that, Paul says. Through Christ, we're alive and free from the old life. Through this authentic relationship with Christ, He begins this transformation in our hearts and in our lives that changes us from the inside out. Ephesians 2, all of it. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. We know that that Satan has power and he has some level of authority, but he doesn't have it all uh, I want to uh, Just explain something here a little bit too regarding the scripture the early church believed that Satan and the evil spiritual forces inhabited the space between the earth and the clouds between the earth and the sky Satan was pictured as ruling over an evil spiritual kingdom in this space comprised of demons and those against Christ. At his resurrection, Christ was victorious over Satan and his power. Jesus rules over all of heaven and all of earth. So Satan is only, uh, only has temporary rulership over those who choose to follow him. So when we look at the scripture, it's not saying that that Satan has power over the entire world, he does have some power but mainly over those that choose to follow him. Have you ever been bitten by a fire ant? (laughs) It hurts, right? And think how big... Well, compare yourself to the size of that fire ant. You can smash that fire ant and kill them. But it's it's kind of the I don't know if this is a good example or not. It may not be because God is so much greater than Satan. This is probably not even a, a relative example. But the thing is that that fire ant or that mosquito can be an irritant, and it can even cause great damage. If you are uh, allergic to the fire ants, you could actually die. And so the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy those that set themselves up and follow after him. And yield to the enemy and what he wants to do in their lives, it can lead to death. We know of people that have overdosed or or been drinking and driving and and killed themselves or someone else. So that is the the enemy's plan is to take you out. But we have victory. When you think about a mosquito biting you, if you see a mosquito on your arm, you smash it. And then if you sometimes you feel a mosquito that you don't see. He may be on your back, right? You just kill him. And that's what the enemy tries to do to us. He just attacks. But we have more power and authority through Christ than what the enemy tries to attack us with. So some people don't realize they're choosing to follow Satan when they reject Christ. So when when we yield to the Lord are we allowing him to work in our lives and bring us to this place of trust in him? Or are we still trying to fight the battles ourselves? Ephesians 2, 2 continues, He talking of Satan here, He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who, who refuse to obey God. Consider the promotion and normalization of ungodly values and lifestyles that we see going on today. I saw an article where a seventh grader was removed from class for wearing a t-shirt that say there are only two genders. Duh. I mean, that would be like being removed from class at somebody wearing a t-shirt that said I breathe air. I mean, we know these things, but yet the culture is trying to normalize the abnormal and trying to normalize sin and destruction, the things that that clearly God says, these are not right, these are wrong. So where are we? Are we compromising in our lives? Have you ever said, or maybe somebody said, well, I know the Bible says this, but... It's different for me. No, it's not. (laughs) It's the same for you as it is for everybody else. God has set the standard. Why? Because he loves us. And he doesn't want to see us, you know, get into a car crash or, or whatever. That's why there are speed limit signs. So are we yielding to the Lord? And are we saying, Lord, I'm letting you be the standard in my life. I'm not going to change your standards. Ephesians 2, 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. So we talked a little bit in the past about uh, iniquity, where we have a natural bent towards something. And so we're, the Word says that we're born in sin, we're conceived in sin. But Jesus came to restore us and to give us new life. To sin is to miss the mark, the target that God has for us. But it's a lifelong process of being delivered and transformed from our former lives or lifestyles sometimes. But look at your life as a Christian, as a believer. Do you see that God is doing something in your life? Is he changing you? Is he transforming you? Are you not doing some of the things that you used to do? Are you doing some things now that you didn't do before, like maybe pray, like press into God a little bit more and walk away from some of the things that you used to do? There should be evidence in our life that God is in our hearts. If our lives are not changed, I have to wonder, I have to wonder about our relationship. Because Jesus didn't come to build religion, he came to build this relationship with you and me an authentic relationship. Ephesians 2, 3 continues, by our very nature we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Oh wait a minute, God is angry? God is righteous. This word anger means indignation or at wrongdoing retribution, wrath for future judgment. Because God has set a standard and we cannot, when Adam and Eve sinned, they crossed the barrier that allowed sin to be part of our spiritual DNA, but Jesus came to wash all that away, that we would be saved. Once we were separated from God, now we we are connected to Him with our sins completely washed away. We need Jesus. (laughs) We can't do it on our own. Ephesians 2 goes on to say, but God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it says in parentheses, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. And then Paul goes on to write in 2 8 through 10, Ephesians 2 8 through 10, you know it, we're saved by grace through faith when we believe not of our works that any man should boast. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, it's only through Christ that Christ died for us knowing. That we would be born in sin knowing some of the things that we would do. And he still died so that we would be saved. Let's go to Galatians 3.22. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Think about maybe where you used to be at one point in time in your life, or maybe you know someone that's trapped in sin. They're prisoners of sin. Think of someone that's addicted to crack or alcohol or whatever, sex, whatever it may be. They're prisoners of those vices. But Jesus came to set us all free. So my my first point this morning is we have victory over sin. My second point is we have victory over our flesh our flesh is a viable contender <laughs> James four seventeen. If if you haven't read the book of James or you know man I love the book of James James is so practical and he just gets right to the heart James four seventeen. remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it well God I know it's a sin I I know but you don't have to succumb to your flesh <laughs> Now your flesh will tell you something different, right? Come on, just one more time. How many times have we heard that? Just one more time, And a hundred times later, it's like, just one more time. No, flesh. Galatians 5:13, "For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. You've been called to live in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. (laughs) Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Your sinful nature is your flesh. Galatians 5, 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I don't think that any of us walk in the spirit 100% of the time. But as Christians, we should not be walking in the flesh 100% of the time either. But what we see is we yield to the Lord, and He's doing this transformation in our hearts and lives where maybe we were 50-50, now we're 60-40, maybe 60% walking in the Spirit and 40 in the flesh. And, and God begins to take those things out of our hearts and lives that are bringing damage and destruction to our lives and giving, taking away the desire to walk in the flesh. Some of those things that I used to do, some of that stuff I used to buy, I no longer have a desire for it any longer. Because God has done something in my heart. And that's the key, not that we perform better or or struggle harder, but we yield to Him. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, there's going to be temptations. The, the, the challenge is what do you do with that temptation? Do you succumb to it? Or do you walk away? So I want to contrast some some of the, the uh, results of the flesh and the spirit. So the flesh will be in black and the, on the slide, and, and the spirit will be... Good, and these are just some things to get us to think about these things a little bit. The flesh wants to do evil. The Spirit wants us to do good. The flesh is destructive. The Spirit is productive. The flesh is volatile. The Spirit is peaceful. The flesh is selfish. I want it my way. The spirit is selfless. The flesh is oppressive. The spirit is liberating. The flesh is possessive. The spirit is nurturing. The flesh is immoral. The spirit is moral. The flesh is death. Leads to death. And the spirit leads to abundant life. So those are just some things that we can draw a parallel from and and say, when I'm walking through life, tomorrow morning when I'm driving down that freeway, when I'm at work, what is resident in my life? What am I demonstrating? Am Am I demonstrating the flesh or the spirit? What More importantly, what's in my heart? But our heart is going to demonstrate and ref- uh, our actions, let me say it this way, our actions are going to demonstrate and reflect what's in our heart. The Word says, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. You ever hear yourself saying something and you're like, where did that come from? It came from your heart. That can be an indictment. It can also be a really good thing, right? As God is, is speaking to you and, and you share a word of encouragement with someone, Or the Lord prompts uh, somebody on your heart and you send them a text or voicemail, leave them a voicemail or whatever. So it can be good or bad. But what's in our heart? It's reflective of the things that we're saying. It's reflective of our life that we're living. So through Christ we can have victory now. Not just eternity. Well, I know, praise God, one day I'll have victory. Well, you can have victory now. I'm not saying that you don't have any challenges. James says, Count it all joy when you have trials and tribulations. For the testing of your faith builds your patience or perseverance. And when your patience or your perseverance is complete, then you are complete, lacking nothing. God will not tempt us, but he will test us for our good. Romans 2 7 says he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good and seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good because we're yielding to him and we're saying God help me to continue to do good because I know where I end up on my own so we have victory over sin we have victory over our flesh you do not need to succumb to your flesh Tell your flesh, shut up. No, I'm not going there. You have the power and authority to do that. <laughs> we can live a life of victory. Romans 5, 8-11. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So we've been made right. We're made righteous. We're made righteous by the blood of Christ, who's washed away all of our sin. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy comes to condemn. Oh, just go do this. And then you go and do this, and oh, you're a Christian? Really? You did that? The enemy will lay a trap for you and set a bait for you. Or if the enemy's not condemning enough, we condemn ourselves, right? Oh, man, why did I do that? I just keep doing that. Listen, Jesus came to set us free. And and if you have a habitual problem, maybe you're in bondage. Maybe you say, God, I need to get free from this thing. If this has been a habit for 10 years, that's not... It's a little problem. It's, it's, it's a bondage. But Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to set all of us free. But he's not going to make us come out of the prison. He'll unlock the door, open it up, say, come on out. No, I want to stay in here because it's comfortable, because I like doing what I'm doing. Well, you can stay there, or you can be free. Sin promotes condemnation. Truth promotes life. Condemnation is a destructive trap. Because you know what this is like. You do something, you know you shouldn't do it. What do you deal with the the shame and the guilt and all of those things? And then some people will go and do it again to try to alleviate the shame and the guilt, and it just makes them feel worse. The Holy Spirit will not condemn us, but he will convict us. Thank you, Lord, that you give conviction, especially to your children that are seeking after you. Honey, I'm sorry I said that. That was sharp. That was harsh. I say that a lot. (laughs) But God is like that. God is not trying to, to, you know, beat us up. But he wants to help us. And so Jesus said, I'm leaving that the Holy Spirit may come and lead you and guide you into all truth. That we may have conviction so that we can represent him more effectively. Romans 5.10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So it's only through Christ. But let me well, let me read verse eleven. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Have you ever considered that God wants to be your friend? Do you have a friendship with God? Oh no, I could never have a friendship with God. Uh, that that's disrespectful, and uh, uh, well, not necessarily. I've actually been friends with some of my supervisors, my bosses that I've had. We've been friends. Now, I still honor and respect their position and my position and stay in my lane. Our pastor in Corpus, Pastor Don, he's a friend. He, he still has spiritual authority and oversight over my life, and He speaks into my life. And I appreciate that because I know He loves me, so when He brings correction or instruction or direction, I know that He's doing that because He loves me. But we, ha- we have a lot of fun together. He's my friend. And I know that a lot of times... I'll spend time with the Lord, and I can say that He is my friend. I talk to Him. You know, a lot of times I go out to our property that we're hoping to get the building built on soon, and uh, I just spend time with Him. I just look at at, at His creation. I just talk to Him. I tell Him things that I probably don't tell anybody else. And, and sometimes it's just a sweet, sweet presence of the Lord, just spending time with Him. So God wants to be your friend. Yes, He's God. Yes, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. But it's not about religion. It's about relationship. So we've been talking about, over the past years, about a Jesus revival. We're praying for a Jesus revival and a Jesus re- revival brings spiritual life and victory to us from the Lord because there are a lot of people that really need Jesus they may not know it they're thinking that uh, the alcohol or drugs or whatever will do it but when we're praying for Jesus revival we're praying for God to indwell In us and that people will be drawn to come into this relationship with him it's not just about having some meetings at a church building so I was thinking about this message while I was thinking about this message I was thinking why do so why do some believers normalize and minimize personal sin and disobedience and I think there's one reason to justify feeding their flesh well, why? We've been delivered and set free. Because many times we'll say, well, it's all about God, but really it's all about me. So where are we in this relationship? Have we crossed over and s- all over that threshold and said, well, it's going to stop being all about me, God. And I'm really going to yield to you those areas of my life. Those things that that are pleasing to you because I want to please you John eight thirty one through 36 Jesus said to the people who believed in him you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free when we look at the Word of God it is the truth the Word the written word The Logos will set us free. But I think this scripture has a deeper meaning than that. And the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so he's the rhema word of God. He is the expression of the written word. And you will know the truth by reading the word. Oh, yes, this is what it's saying in Proverbs. This is what it says in James. And I will know the truth. He is the truth. John 1, John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. So when we're reading the Word, we're reading Jesus. When we have an encounter with Jesus, He is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the truth. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone What do you mean we will be set free? Really? Really? Well, let's think about this. He was talking to people that were under the oppression of the Roman government at the time. Oh, we've never been slaves. Well, you're a slave right now to the Roman's rule, to the oppression, to to the taxation. Well, we've never been free. What do you mean? (laughs) are you stupid (laughs) generation after generation before them they were in and out of captivity out of slavery in and out of slavery oh let's see what is Passover Passover is a celebration that you celebrate every year hmm what's the purpose of that oh yeah it's to remind us that we were delivered from Egypt because we were in slavery Less obvious probably were were their spiritual bondages. They were looking for the Messiah, hello, he's right there and they miss him. John 8, 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So If you're living in in slavery, you're not a member of the family. But if you're a son, you're a part of the family. And if you mess up, you don't get kicked out. You're still a son. But God is working in your life. God is working in my life continually. I don't know anyone except Jesus that's arrived. And I know some really powerful, godly people. But we're a member of the family. John 8 36. So if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Yes. Jesus has come to set you free. The message today is about living in victory, about walking in victory. You don't have to succumb to that fire ant. You're dead. You're gone. You're history. You don't have to succumb to the things of your flesh. You don't have to succumb to the the things of the world. What we need to do is just yield to Christ and just remember that we are victors. We can walk in the power, the dominion, the authority that God has allocated to us. We don't have to be in bondage. You know people that are in bondage. Hey, come on. Let me take those chains off. Get free. How do I get free? His name is Jesus. Listen, we have a great opportunity before us every day. We're talking about revival. If we want to see revival come to our communities and this nation, we need to take seriously what God wants to do in our hearts and lives because he's looking at us. How are we going to go tell somebody else to get free when we're bound up? We can live a life of victory, but it's only found through staying connected to Christ.